Good evening. Uh, my name is Aubrey. If we haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors here at the Church of the Incarnation. And um, in, our earlier, in our first service, we took a poll, and it ended up everyone sitting on the right voted for Trump, and everyone sitting on the left had voted for Biden. And the libertarians were kind of just scattered with their backs turned to everybody throughout the room. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, I'm telling that joke for a reason. Um, our church is uh, the most politically diverse church that I've, I've ever been a part of. I, I, I've typically been a part of churches that um, everybody tended to, to vote in the same kind of way. In our church, it's not like that. Um, there are people in our church who vote, voted for Trump tonight. Um, some of them, you would know that because of their bumper stickers. And there are people in our church who are in the closet, <laughs> Republicans. And there are people in our church who voted for Biden tonight, and you would know that from the signs in their yard and so forth and so forth so on. And Brian Carroll for the American Solidarity Party or... But today in the earlier service and in this service, we come together and we are sitting with each other and we're standing with each other. And in a moment, we're going to eat a meal together. Um, and the reason we can do that is because um, there is a bigger commitment we have than the way we read politics. And our bigger commitment is about Christ, that Jesus is the king. And that he has our deepest allegiance and our greatest loyalty. And in a few minutes, we're going to all stand together and recite a pledge of allegiance to King Jesus and his kingdom called the Apostles' Creed. Um, but before we do that, let's listen um, for God's voice in Scripture together. Namely, these two passages that we just heard read. Psalm 2, the second psalm, and Matthew chapter 5. In Psalm 2, we're taught to recognize that when the nations rage, that they will eventually be quieted by King Jesus, who offers all of us refuge, who offers all of us refuge and peace, even when the country we live in is filled with fear and with anger. And then in our gospel reading. Matthew chapter, by the way, Psalm 2 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, and it's straight up political. And then in Matthew chapter 5, our gospel reading, we hear Jesus pronouncing blessing on the peacemakers. They're the ones who win the title, children of God, loving those who are sitting near us or live near us and who voted for the wrong candidate. About a third of you in this room, I'm presuming, didn't vote like I did. In other words, you voted for the wrong candidate. Um, but learning to love the people and seeking peace with them, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to seek peace. And that's what we're doing tonight. And it's interesting because our country is developing a habit of believing that members of the other political party are obviously close-minded. They're obviously not as intelligent 
as we are. Or they're obviously not committed to the same moral values that we're committed to in, in our society because of that. Because we're making the other political party into our enemy, what's happening is we're developing into a place without mercy, into a society without grace where we're not patient and we're not hopeful and we're not kind. And yet, in the church, we have something else to offer. We can offer our community an example, a model of people who disagree on politics, on who the best presidential candidate is or who holds the best policy, we can offer our community fresh signs of the kingdom of God. Because Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, the last part of our gospel reading, it tells us that the primary engine of God's work in the world today is the church. Not the state. And that, that's going to be irregardless of the outcome of this election. It is God's people who are to be a shining city on a hill. And by telling his followers that we should see ourselves as a city. Now think about what Jesus is doing there. When he looks at his followers and he tells them, you're a city on a hill. Part of what he's doing is he's alerting us to the fact that we need to live like a city. We need to have a value system. We need to have an economy. We need to have a vision for life. And as you read the Bible, you see that in Scripture, there's this very serious, very developed vision for the city of God, for God's people, for the church. And it has a distinct ethic when it comes to things like sex or money, wealth or poverty, or the environment or life in the womb. But here's the complex thing. Here's the challenge. And it's a challenge that I'm grateful for our church helping me with. The challenge is that the Bible does not spell out any particular program for how to translate the values of the city of God into the broader public. What I mean is this. The Bible is absolutely clear. Economies, cities, are going to be judged based on how the poor flourish in those cities. So God's report card for any economic system, whether it leans towards socialism or it leans toward a free market kind of capitalism, God's report card of them is how do the poorest of the poor fare in your particular enactment of that economy. But here's what it doesn't do. The Bible is not clear on how exactly to work that out. So for example... In our church, in the Church of the Incarnation, there are very devout Christians who are not crossing their fingers when they say the creed. They believe it. They mean it. Very devout, thoughtful, humble Christians in this church who think the best way for a community to care for the poor is by expanding government and giving the state more power to redistribute wealth. In other words, high taxes and more government services is the best 
expression of compassion and care for the poor. There are also in our church equally serious, equally devout, intelligent, thoughtful, well-read, educated Christians who are also saying the creed with all of their heart, with eyes wide open, who believe that the best way to care for the poor is by shrinking government and letting private capital markets allocate the resources. In other words, lower taxes, smaller government, and private charity. And the Bible doesn't tell either of these that they're right or wrong. What it says is, is your system truly trying to create an economic system, an economic place where the poor have the best chance possible? Is your system committed to holding government accountable for ensuring that this can happen? So this means that when it comes to aligning with the Democratic Party's view of economics or the Republican Party's view of economics or a third party, we have this God-given freedom. The social fabric of the United States is tearing apart because we're no longer debating policy differences. Instead, every political disagreement is becoming a moral battleground of the good guys versus the bad guys, or the people who care about the poor versus the people who just want to line their own pockets, or the people who care about the poor versus the people who just think government knows better than local communities, or go on down the line. And what's happening is that we're, we're kind of frog in the kettle, right, in this system where at the end of the day, the other political view, that person is less fully human or less enlightened or less committed to the moral good. And so in our church, we can remember tonight in this service, we can know that there are people in this room who voted for different parties. And yet, no single party, not the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the American Solidarity Party or the, any of the other third parties or the Libertarians, no single one of them is the Christian party because most political positions are not matters of biblical command but of practical wisdom. The Bible teaches us, here's another example, so I can try to be even more provocative than talking about your money. Let me talk about your sex life. The Bible teaches us abortion is a sin, and it is a great evil, but it doesn't show us how to decrease abortion. Abortion was around when the Bible was written, but the Bible doesn't teach us how to decrease abortion or end abortion in a democracy like America in a time like this. So, for example, there are some political scientists that are beginning to point out that the biggest drop in abortion rates since Roe v. Wade was in the 90s when Clinton, a Democrat, was president. And the Christian desire to end abortion is not only about judiciary selections, this this certain political scientists are showing us, that it, it's deeply wrapped up in things like culture and economics and social services and contraception. In other words, there are people in our church, this church, who believe that abortion's a great brokenness and it needs to end and they're working through the democratic platform the democratic party's platform to decrease abortions and they've got victories that they can point to 
And then there are other people in our church who are just as deeply committed to seeing abortion diminish in our culture, and they are working through the Republican framework on how to decrease and diminish abortions. And that's my point. There are many possible ways to decrease abortions, to help the poor, to diminish our destructive impact on the environment, to secure religious liberty, to handle the complex set of issues surrounding immigration and borders. And what tonight reminds us of, what it can remind us of, is that you can be a thoughtful, compassionate Christian who is working out the virtues of Scripture and the values of Scripture, you're working out the call to obey God, yet reasonably disagree with one another on how to do it. There is so much in politics about which Christians can disagree. And that's the thing we've lost. But that's the thing a church like this can hold up for this community. Not a couple of weeks ago, I was having lunch with one of the leaders in our church. We were voting for the very different options. And, and he was terribly wrong, his views. And no, but I believe that. And we were able to go for the jugular on the issues. But the reason we could do that is because I had no doubt that we were children of the same father and that our love for each other was not on the line. We were really trying to figure out what is the best approach on these issues. And we were both owning the same values and we were disagreeing and and we knew different sets of data and that's what we can hold up that's what christians can do christians can hold up to our world this path forward because when you believe in the good news of jesus christ that you're saved by mercy and by grace then you begin to be shaped into the kind of person. You begin to have the resources that empowers you to love people, even people who reject your beliefs, or even if they not only reject your beliefs, they reject you personally. Because at the center of the Christian religion is a man hanging on a cross, being rejected, and yet crying out, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, Father. This is right at the center of it all. A few minutes ago, we heard Jesus' words. Blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God and on and on. The Beatitudes go. The good news that Jesus offers the world teaches us to think about that. To, to think about how God rescues us. He doesn't save us by seizing power and jamming it in people's face, but by coming to earth, losing glory, losing power, and serving us by dying on the cross for us. And the more we think about that, the more we recognize that is how we are saved, that is how we get our identity, then the more we're able to draw down on the power of the Holy Spirit to repent of our anger. Because anytime your anger leads you away from love and not toward it, It's sin, whether it's in the category of politics or anything else. Just a moment ago, we listened to Psalm 2. It begins with this amazing line, why do the nations rage? And it ends with these words, blessed are all who take refuge in King Jesus. That's exactly what's going on right now. The nation 
There's, it's filled with fear and anger and rage. But today, hopefully, we've done our best to elect the president that we each think can lead us toward greater flourishing. And my friends in this church who we disagree on which president, which option does that, we can still all remember with humility that while politics is very important, it's absolutely significant. At the end of the day, God is not going to bring about his kingdom through the United States or any other earthly government. God's people, we are the shining city on a hill. And the way we shine in this political moment is we foreground the virtues of humility and deep concern and the ability to recognize when we're working out the implications of Scripture and we're trying to find the best ways to get there. Now let's say our prayers.